Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. All right, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. This is episode 60. My name's Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host, and I'm also the founder of Novus Mindful Life Institute Family Counseling and Recovery in Long Beach, California. If you or anyone you know is struggling with any of life's challenges, please reach out to us. You can find more information about us at theaddictedmind.com forward slash help. If you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please rate and review us in iTunes. I really appreciate that. And it's kind of cool to see that people are listening and enjoying the podcast and are getting a lot of value out of it. Also, don't forget to join our Facebook group. You can just go to Facebook and search the Addicted Mind podcast. In the Facebook group, we're growing it and we're talking about resources and different issues around addiction. So if that's something that interests you, please go to Facebook and, and join our group. So on today's episode, we have Andy Finch and Michael Derschlag, and they are going to talk about recovery schools. And I think this is really awesome what they're doing and what they're supporting is they're really supporting an environment for recovery for young people. And it was a great interview and I really enjoyed talking with them about it. And I really felt like it offered a lot of hope for uh, kids and then also for parents out there who are struggling to find services or, or find a place where their kids can be safe, especially when they, you know, they're struggling with uh, addiction. So it was wonderful to talk to them. I think you guys are going to enjoy this episode and uh, let's go ahead and start it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Addicted Mind. My guests today are Andy Finch and Michael Derschlag, and we're going to talk about recovery schools today and what that means and what that is and how that helps younger people out there. So you guys want to introduce yourselves? My name is uh, Mike Derschlag, and I'm the director of Pease Academy, which is a longest-running recovery school in Minneapolis, and I've been working with Pease Academy since 1995. All right. Yes, and uh, I'm uh, Andy Finch, and I am a professor at Vanderbilt University. I'm a co-founder of the association of recovery schools, and I'm currently a senior advisor to their board of directors, and I helped start and run a recovery high school in Nashville, Tennessee that was open from 1997 
to 2008. And this is currently my primary area of academic research. Oh, awesome. So I'm so glad you guys came on. Let's talk a little bit about what recovery schools are. And I don't think a lot of people have actually heard about recovery schools and what that is. So let's just jump right in. Well, sure. I guess I could start. And then, Michael, you could maybe give uh, some more specifics. So recovery high schools actually have been around quite a while. The first one that we're aware of opened in 1979 in Montgomery County, Maryland. And we saw very slow growth of schools through the 80s, but really an explosion toward the end of the 80s into the 1990s of schools. And a national association started in 2002. There's currently about 45 recovery high schools in operation with the number steadily climbing. And you know, looking at exactly what a recovery high school does, its primary purpose is to provide a high school education for students who identify as being in recovery from a substance use disorder. The schools don't have one particular model or design. It's not something that, you know, when you walk into one, you walk into the next one, it would be the exactly the same. But there are commonalities across the schools. Uh, there are standards, best practice standards. There's accreditation protocol for the schools. And, and they've gotten much more refined in their design over time. But like I said, their primary purpose is providing that high school education for kids in recovery. Yeah. And that was just, I was just going to say, you know, too often, most of the adolescents, when they come out of a, a treatment for substance use disorder, their only option is to return to their home school or an area learning center that the district uh, offers. And those schools just aren't conducive for recovery. It's not necessarily the schools themselves, but they're going to school with young people and peers who may use substances themselves and not quite understand the disease of substance use disorder. So to have a safe school where that's free from drugs and alcohol, I think is really important for our students' ongoing recovery. Right. I would imagine. Actually, just this is bringing up my own past because I went into uh, recovery when I was 17 and went into rehab and then came back to my home school. And it was a, quite a difficult transition, actually. <laughs> to do that and to be able to maintain that. So this is pretty, I think this is really great. It would have been a really nice place to be, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It allows me, when I think about Pease Academy and our name, I mean, the, the acronym is an acronym for Peers Enjoying a Sober Education. It was named by the students themselves. And just knowing how important uh, those peer connections are, especially positive peer connections as students, as young people make positive choices in their lives, it can really make the difference between uh, continued, re continued recovery or going back to the old lifestyle. Okay. So tell me a little bit for uh, a kid who is struggling with this, what might the school, I mean, it offers that sober lifestyle, but what else does it offer them that may might not get at another school? Well, I know that, well, first it's a school and I just always like to emphasize that, you know, that we're not a treatment program or an aftercare program, but I do see us as part of the continuum of care after treatment, after that initial engagement in recovery. And so, you know, in different schools will have different models about how they provide the supports. First and foremost, I think that, you know, walking into a school where all the students there are committed to abstinence and working a recovery program, whatever that might look like outside of the school is, is very important. The, you know, at Pease Academy, they have access to a licensed alcohol and drug counselor 
uh, throughout the day. And then every student will take one of his formal sobriety support groups once a week. They have, rather than homeroom or advisory at Pease Academy, we have what we call peer support team. And that's teacher-led. And it's like I said, it's a smaller group, but it's a teacher-led. And But they, they're there to help facilitate students supporting each other, living life on life's terms without using. So those are, I think, the two main components that you might not necessarily find in a uh, traditional school. But even more so, one of the things that... I, I believe like everybody, in, they're usually smaller in scale or they all are smaller in scale. I mean, we have about 45 students enrolled right now. So all the students know all the students and, and there's a sense of community and belonging. And so that I think goes a long way with this peer accountability and support as well. So it sounds like you're really creating an environment that is, it's focused around a recovery life. They get that support every single day. They're talking to people and and I would imagine, I'm, I'm just guessing, with the current opioid epidemic, that this is even a bigger issue that's coming up. Yes. And, you know, I, I've noticed um, because of how we operate and we are lo- looking, we serve the whole metropolitan area of uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul into the suburbs. I've noticed, actually, the so-called opioid epidemic um, has, allowed more, has allowed me, I think, more access to the schools that traditionally I haven't been able to get into to kind of talk to the counselors and uh, assistant principals because I think people are recognizing what a serious issue we have at hand now and, and they're looking for options as well. Right, right. What, what would be when you're working with younger, younger adults or kids and dealing with addiction recovery, what's a little bit different for them because they're going through the, this time in their life, all this change, things with the brain. I'm just kind of wondering, like, how do you support all of that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Andy, feel free to jump in at any time. <laughs> yeah. uh, I know so that's, a big, the, that's a big question. So. It is a big question. You know, and I, it, 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 it's interesting. I, one of the things is that I know that just in terms of adolescence anyways, just, there seems to be a, just a heightened sense of emotional reaction to life in general. And then, you know, and for so long, many of our students have been kind of deadening those emotions through substance use. Uh, They haven't uh, had the life experience how to make friends without using. They haven't uh, go through a breakup of a a significant other without use. Most of our students have uh, experienced significant trauma that while they are using or even before they are using, that they haven't necessarily worked through while being free from substance use. And so... You know, I think, you know, one of the, I think the challenges or gifts that we get from working with young people in recovery is that all those adolescent issues are now kind of taken to an nth degree because of um, they they haven't they haven't had a lot of experience not using. It never uh, never ceases to be a dull moment. <laughs> yeah, and I would say, you know, when you talk about adolescent development, um, I think that's where the recovery high schools play such a crucial role. I mean, there's a number of different things we have to keep in mind. I mean, it's not just what's happening in the brain, but just even legally, uh, adolescents have far fewer options than an adult does. Um, An an adolescent is required to be in school in most states uh, until they're 18 years old. Uh, They don't have that option to just pick up and leave. Not to mention, even if they did have that option to pick up and leave school, they'd be very limited in what they could do compared to what an adult can do. But then when we actually look at the biology we know that those adolescent years are critical in brain development. The brain is not completely developed until the mid-20s. And the years, the teenage years of those years where 
a lot of what's happening in the gray matter and, and the white matter is that stage of creating independence, the real formation of the long-term brain structure that's happening in those adolescent years. So the experiences that a teenager has are going to be long-lasting. They're going to be experiences that are going to stick with them into adulthood. Uh, and the way that, that young people learn how to cope uh, or not cope uh, or circumstances is going to be what sticks with them. We know that peers are a key motivator for teenagers in anything that they do. That's something that we've known for a long time. And now we actually have uh, neuroscience research that suggests that a teenager is going to be motivated by what their friends are doing above and beyond anything else. And so if their peer groups are actively using substances, then that's going to be something that's going to motivate them. Uh, but conversely, if they're surrounded by a peer group that is not actively using substances, then they're going to be more motivated by that. And so we, we've known that the earlier someone starts using, the more likely it is that they'll develop a substance use disorder. But the flip side is also true. The earlier that they stop using or realizing that they have an issue, the more likelihood it is that they'll be able to stave that off and, and help develop life skills. And, you know, with every bit that we learn about the impact of substances on the brain, we realize that adolescence is just a, a really key time period to intervene. Uh, and this is true for every substance. Uh, you mentioned opiates, but it's true for cannabis. It's true for alcohol. Uh, it's true right on down the line. So it's almost like you have this environment that you can really mold for them that is beneficial because here they have their peers are, are, are doing positive things. They're learning some of the coping skills. And especially if they have trauma and they have all these emotions they don't know how to cope with, you're creating this environment that just creates a different path for them. Yeah, you have to realize that people have been using substances oftentimes to either, and it depends on the substance that they're using, of course, the, the reason they might be using it. But clearly, it's, it's around feeling better or enhancing the feelings that they want to have or to, to avoid perhaps feeling the really negative, difficult emotions. And all of those things are going to be challenging and more challenging if a person's used and is now trying to stop. And so I think one thing we have to keep in mind is that the ability to know how to cope without a substance, to know how to have fun and experience something without a substance is something that is going to help the brain heal. But without the opportunity to learn those things, the person's going to continue to want to go back to the substances for whatever reason they had before. Right. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you're feeling really bad and the substance is easy and you're a younger brain with maybe not as much impulse control, um, it, it sounds like, yeah, I'll, I'll go here and giving them those skills and giving them the, I guess, some, some resilience to be able to cope with that so that they can make those better decisions. So another question I have is how do kids get to the academy or how do they find their way here? Uh, well, you know, one of the things that I do, and I know that a lot of other directors of recovery schools do, is that we forge relationships with the uh, area treatment centers, adolescent treatment centers. So I do a lot of marketing and outreach uh, to the different treatment centers, talk to family groups. And so that's one way and go to different uh, conferences uh, to either present or have a presence there. So we're known. But the other way that I think students get to us is through word of mouth. Uh, our parents are, and students are the best 
markers that we have. So if young people are in meetings, I mean, in, inevitably they see other young people and I don't want to say recruit, but say, oh, where are you going to school? Have you thought about Pease Academy or have you thought about this school? And also our students go into the treatment centers as part of their hospital and institutions, H&I commitments, where they're taking meetings to different treatment centers. And for many of our students, you know, the importance of having a recovery school as a part of it, they just kind of mention that and that sparks some intrigue as well. And the other part is parents. And I know that, you know, for parents, it's difficult. And for a lot of our parents, there there seems to be a lot of stigma and possible potential shame around, oh my gosh, my child is in recovery because it may re- they think it might reflect poorly upon themselves. And so it's oftentimes I think parents feel alone. But the more our parents kind of go out there and be out there and be part of the different family, like family alumni groups, they talk about the school or they might know of a neighbor. So a lot of our incoming potential students, you know, they say, oh, we had a friend whose child went to Pease Academy. And so we're interested in learning more about it. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, it sounds like, because I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I have young kids, as we were kind of talking earlier, getting on, getting this thing going. And you do get so involved in the school that your kids are at. So it, it sounds like even this is bigger than just the kids themselves. I mean, this is actually their whole family gets involved in this process. And I imagine as a parent, it gives them them a place to get resources and be supported and not feel so alone. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, we, I know that oftentimes parents don't know where to turn and where to go and, and they're just looking for some kind of, some, some sort of hope and answers. And so the easier we can make that for them, the better. Uh, But we also offer a parent support group that meets uh, regularly here and, you know, some attend and it's, you know, and some don't, but we always want to make that available. We always encourage our families to talk to other parents, you know, parents talking to parents. So if they hear about a get together at someone's, someone's house, you know, to call that parent and say, hey, is this legitimate? They're in their own recovery. They've been living in fear about getting that uh, proverbial phone call uh, in the middle of the night. And it takes time for them to, I think, breathe a little easier and understand that there might be, things might be okay. They also, you know, to find, get support from other parents when, that their, their, their recovery is not the straight trajectory. One of our first parents' meetings this year, you know, we had two parents who openly shared that their child had to get more treatment before they came back to be successful at Pease Academy. And there was a parent who was going through that right in that moment. And I think for that parent, it was good to hear that, oh my gosh, my, my child's not a failure. We're not failures, but this is, this may be or could be just part of the process that we have to go through um, until they reach a place of stability. So in a way, you're, you're supporting the whole system. You're not just supporting that kid individually. And because it's not, um, it doesn't sound like, are, are some of these inpatient or like uh, boarding schools, or are they outpatient or not outpatient or inpatient, but I guess living there versus, uh, you know, just coming in from the community or... I think it's important to keep in mind that these are they're they're not really treatment centers, right? So they're 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 long-term recovery supports, continuing care models, so to speak. And so there aren't any that we're aware of that are residential. There are some that do have partnerships, say, with recovery houses, um, though there's not a lot of youth recovery houses around. But uh, some do have partnerships with uh, living environments. But by and large, we're talking about day schools. We're talking about schools where the kids come to school in the morning and leave in the afternoon like they would anywhere else. 
What's important, though, is that the friendships that they forge are peers that they can now hang out with in those really dangerous after-school hours. I mean, those are hours where kids are often idle and looking for things to do. And that's the period where they can find find other peers who are like-minded, uh, who can support them. And, and I think another thing that you mentioned is this idea of community. It's not just the, the kids who are finding community, but the parents. This could be a very isolating, stigmatizing issue for a family, uh, especially a family that might feel very alone. And sometimes the families they meet in treatment aren't local to them, uh, may not even reside in the same state. So to be able to come together with another group of people who are going through the same situation, who are now all together in that school community every single day, that's powerful. That support alone is something that makes the recovery high schools worthwhile. Yeah, I would I would imagine. I mean, addiction is so hard and has uh, is just so difficult as a as a person who struggles with it, but then also all the family members that are surrounded by it and it really sounds like this just just really creates that community that um, people can reduce the shame about it, can get resources, can find professional help. It's really awesome. I, I, I'm so glad you guys are coming on and sharing this with our with our audience and for parents out there who are listening to the podcast to be able to know that there's places like this that exist for them, that they can go out and get that added support. I think it's just, it's I think it's great. So what would you, as we kind of get to the end of our time, what would you guys want to say? Anybody listening, maybe a parent out there or a child, you know, or a young adult listening to this podcast and thinking about this, what would you want to tell them? I think the first thing is that, you know, you don't, you don't have to choose between your education and your recovery, that there are options available. And, you know, they may live in an area, a geographic area, where a recovery school just isn't possible at the moment, but I think through advocacy and, and, and some work and reaching out to the Association of Recovery Schools, you know, Andy mentioned beginning that we have, you know, we've seen a, a huge growth in recovery schools across the country. And really, they all start because of concerned families and, you know, people who are there who want something more for their child and, and really kind of take it on. So I think that, that there is hope in just to reach out to either the Association of Recovery Schools or one of the member schools, and we can kind of help in that endeavor. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And I would add to that, the recoveryschools.org is the website for the Association of Recovery Schools. And we maintain a list of the schools that we're aware of. And so a family member can look and see if there's a school in their area. If there's not, we can certainly help families with some advocacy to try to get a school going, though that can take some time. So, you know, it's not easy to just open up a school and get going. But certainly if there is one that is accessible yeah, I think to encourage families that this is a this is a really good option. The the research that we've done has suggested that if if someone has gotten alcohol and drug treatment and been able to go into a recovery high school, um, there's a positive impact across just about every category you can think of compared to not going into a recovery high school. And so I think the biggest hurdle sometimes is for a family to just say, look, you know, it's time for us to find a different option that, that's going to support recovery. And that can be hard. It can be hard for a family to, to make that call and to transfer into a school uh, you know, such as the ones we're talking about. But once they do, the feedback from families pretty much across the board is that it saved their lives and it's helped to put them on that right path and finish their education. 
but sometimes making that first step, like anything in recovery, right? Making that first step towards maybe going into a meeting or right. uh, you know finding that new support group. Uh, going to a new school is a big step, but once they do, it really has proven to be life-changing. Yeah, and I would imagine just real quick, one more thing as, as you were talking, just kind of understanding that addiction, it's hard to treat addiction in a 30-day window or a 90-day window. Addiction is a long-term thing. And if you can get a kid to get long-term uh, sobriety for a while while the brain develops and get all these coping skills, what a, I mean, just what a thing for hope for these kids. Especially when you throw in that there are over a hundred collegiate recovery programs across the country too. So if I can get a student, you know, their junior year and have them graduate from Keys Academy in two years and then kind of help them uh, transition to a collegiate recovery program, you know, their chances of long-term uh, success in recovery is amazing. And Dr. John Kelly kind of has some numbers from out of Harvard, has some numbers about, as you mentioned, those years kind of in a, in a supportive environment and staying within the recovery community. Uh, the longer someone stays connected to a, a recovery community like that, it's, it does, it's amazing. Yeah. And I just, you know, if I look back on my own personal experience, I think I was really lucky because I was 17 when I went into a rehab. And I think if I hadn't gotten that support at that age and a couple years more, I don't know where I'd be. And I'm just like, <laughs> thank, thank goodness that uh, I didn't get to go to a recovery school. It sounds like it would have been, now looking back, I probably would have not liked it at the time or who knows, but right. you know, but looking back now, I'd been like, wow, that would have been really awesome. But so that early intervention is, I think, just critical to helping these kids live a really fulfilling life and uh, stay out of, out of all that. So one more time, how, how can people get a hold of each of you if they want more information? And They can certainly uh, go to my, the website, peasacademy.org, and that's P-E-A-S-E-academy.org, or they can call me, and I'll just put my phone number out there, 612-378-1377. I take phone calls from people in the community all the time, and sometimes they're not even interested in coming to the school you know, are just wanting to talk because, you know, I've been working with adolescents in recovery for over 23 years. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And I would also direct people to the Association of Recovery Schools website. That's recoveryschools.org. We have an annual conference this year. It's in Boston, the end of June, and you can find details about that on the website. And if anybody wants to reach me, email is is always the best. And that would be andrew.org. Finch, F-I-N-C-H, at Vanderbilt.edu. And uh, I'd be glad to answer any questions people might have. Awesome. And I'm, I'm going to list all that on the show notes as well. So that will be, um, that'll be great. I'll put it all there. And um, thank you guys so much for coming on to the Addicted Mind podcast. Thank you, thank for, you for having us. All right. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. You can find all the show notes and all the links at theaddictedmind.com forward slash 60. That's six zero. Once again, if you are enjoying the podcast, please go to iTunes and rate and review us. That really does help get us a lot of exposure and get this information out to people who can use it and benefit from it. Also, join our Facebook group. Go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast, and we should come up and uh, click join. All right, everybody, have a wonderful day, and I will talk to you on the next episode.
Oh, hey, it's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.